0: bipolar disorder is a reactive condition and she said that maybe it would be useful for me to think about why I need bipolar disorder in my life. I had honestly never thought about that until that point. I'd never had a moment where I went, I wonder why my brain, why my emotions feel the need to do this thing. Welcome to the Life in Minds Podcast. I'm your host, Tata Reynolds, and as always, I'm so, so happy to have you. Today, we are talking about my postpartum psychosis recovery and a life update on how I am doing now. As always, I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on email, Twitter, Instagram. I'll leave all my contact details in the show notes. I'd love it if you could send me a voice note. These are, This is for the Spotify listeners out there. Without further ado, here is episode seven. I hope that you enjoy it. So today we are doing some more filling in the blanks. We are talking about the postpartum period and beyond. And I'm hoping that by the end of this episode, you will know a little bit more about postpartum psychosis and that also you will know how to, you know, help your way through. Right. So. Without further ado, let's start with I feel like I always say without further ado, I don't know where I got that from. It must be a South Africanism. Um, I'm gonna start off with a definition because after the postpartum episode, postpartum psychosis episode, I had some people coming to me being like, What actually is postpartum psychosis? And I could only speak on it based on my own experiences and you know, I'm an individual and so I I couldn't kind of encapsulate it in its fullness. So I'm going to start out with a definition. I found this on the Royal College of Psychiatrists website and their definition is as follows. Postpartum psychosis is a severe mental illness. It starts suddenly in the days or weeks after having a baby. Symptoms vary and can change rapidly. They can include a high mood, which is mania, depression, confusion, hallucinations, and delusions. It is a psychiatric emergency. You should seek help as quickly as possible. It can happen to any woman, and often occurs out of the blue, even if you have not been ill before. It can be a frightening experience for a mother, her partner, friends, and family. It can last several weeks or longer, but it will usually recover fully. It is much less common than baby blues or postnasal depression, postnatal depression, not postnasal depression. About one in every one thousand women—that's zero point one percent—who have a baby will have postpartum psychosis. So I thought that that explanation was really helpful because it kind of covered the range of the symptoms and also um, when you should you should seek some help. Okay, cool. So I think where I left off with the filling in the blanks was I had gone home and all these things had happened and I'd been working on clearing my energy and getting in a good space. And then, you know, Richard and I were in a better place. And so I went home. When I went home, I mean, when I came back to the UK, um, we, we we still had issues. Like we were still kind of figuring each other out because, you know, I think there was still a lot of confusion, resentment, um, you know, mainly mainly on his side from the fact that when I was manic, I, like I've said before, I do tend to say things that aren't true but that are really damaging and hurtful, you know, things like, oh, I don't love you or I'm, you know, I'm in love with this person and I want to marry them and I want to, I don't know, just build a life with this random stranger that I don't even know and you don't even know. Um, and so that can be really difficult for someone to deal with, I think. And um what else was happening? But you know, we muddled through. We I got back and I still had my friends that I was talking to and I was still just trying to unpick all the things that had been happening. And then we went on a holiday the next year um in the summertime we were in the Algarve in Portugal. And I don't know if it was the sunshine or the fact that we were both just really relaxed or, you know, the good food and and the just beautiful vibes of the place, but it really helped to gel us back together. Um, and I remember after that holiday, we kind of were on a much better keel. And so then the year after that, so that was 2020, no, 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 yeah, yeah, 2020, January, we went on holiday to uh, Thailand, and that was... Amazing guys. Oh, it was just like sun, sea, sand, you know, also just beautiful little towns. Shang Mai was just gorgeous and hippie and calm. So yeah, we had that incredible holiday and then we came back. That's when I found out that I was pregnant with Zach. And we were overjoyed because literally we hadn't even been trying for very long at all. And as I mentioned before in the postpartum psychosis episode, that the pregnancy was literally textbook. Um, But this was actually quite stressful until I was big enough to, to feel him and everything because... When you're newly pregnant and you have no symptoms, then you do just feel like, oh my gosh, is the baby still there? Am I okay? Is he okay? Um, yeah. And yeah, it. but, but once I could, you know, feel him inside me, it was just really, really great and affirming and I felt amazing and I had all these, you know, energy, like I had high energy and it was just, yeah, it was just a great space. Um, one thing that i'd like to volunteer at this point is because i knew that i was at a higher risk of getting postpartum psychosis the psychiatrist that i was consulting with at the time didn't really i don't I think she did give me a statistic but it it was really high i think it was like 25% so for from 0.01% for anyone else to 25 is like really really a very high likelihood. I was seriously considering placenta encapsulation. What is placenta encapsulation, you ask? (laughs) A lot of people do ask this question. When I was trying to do it, they were like, you're going to do what? That's so gross. So placenta encapsulation has been made popular, I think, mainly by one of the kardashian sisters ah oh, which one is it the really the oldest one but the smallest one is that um courtney so courtney kardashian a few seasons back on keeping up with the kardashians basically had her placenta made into pills because the idea is When you deliver the placenta, it's full of all this juicy goodness and health and vitality and hormones and, you know, just all the goodies. And the idea is that if you consume your placenta after it's been delivered, out of your body, then you can retain some more of those vitamins and minerals and hormones. It's kind of like a supplement. That's literally what it is. And the process is actually fascinating. What they do is they basically dehydrate the placenta and then they grind it up and then they put it into these capsules and then you eat your own placenta. And uh, there's a part of me that really wonders had i not have caught covid and had i been able to actually encapsulate my placenta i wonder if i would have become manic or whether it would have been as severe as it was versus if i hadn't and obviously this is not something i will never know but i definitely did feel that oh i i you know i missed my chance to kind of fortify my chances post Post birth, that's okay. You know, it happened the way that it did because that's the way it had to happen. But yeah, so so I wanted to to encapsulate my placenta, and I had a lady and everything, and we'd agreed, and I'd pay the deposit, and then um, late September I caught COVID, and then I had to go to the hospital mentioned again um in in my uh postpartum psychosis episode and it was it was a horrific ho- hospital stay and i won't go into the details cuz i already have and if you yeah if you want to hear that story then please please do check out the um the postpartum psychosis episode i think it's episode 3 um so yeah so so late september i caught covid and then i had to go into the hospital Zach was due to be born at the end of October and then I was in hospital and I was really ill and just treated not very well because nobody really understood COVID and they kind of wanted to stay away from me. Um, And then Zach's birth had to be moved up two weeks and that was quite stressful and Richard couldn't be there. And then out comes baby Zach on a Friday afternoon and um. I think I stayed into the in the hospital until the next Tuesday. And I only saw Richard maybe on one of those days uh, that I was in the hospital. So the entire other time I was looking after him on my own, which was quite stressful and draining. And you don't really get to sleep because when newborns are new, they basically are on, on like a three-hour feed cycle. So, yeah, so I just – I was sleep-deprived for – over five days, uh, and just obviously with the newborn and all the anxiety that that brings, and I've shared, you know, my breastfeeding woes. um, It was all just really, really hard and overwhelming. But anyway, the Tuesday rolled around, we got to leave, and we came home. And I think the first thing was I just felt really anxious. And I felt compelled to keep tidying and packing and sorting. And it it sounds strange, but I felt like a bird. I felt like a magpie. I felt like I needed to collect little bits of stuff to keep myself safe. And I think Richard was kind of observing me and thinking, hmm, okay, this is interesting. But, you know, we'll 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 watch it and see what happens. And then the next thing was the the nurse health visitor people came to see me to just check on how I was doing. And I told them all of the things that I'd gone through and I'm not even sure if they actually did, but I I thought they both burst into tears because it was just such a horrific story. And they were saying to me, oh, you know, you should definitely write a formal complaint or write a formal letter to the hospital and yeah, just, just get these things investigated because you shouldn't have been treated that way. But already then I was starting to become a little bit dissociated from people's emotions that makes any sense. And what I mean by that is I I could see the tears in people's eyes, but I couldn't relate to their tears. And this is not new for me. So when I'm slipping into a manic state, people almost tend to take like a 2D... Character to them, so people just feel very flat to me. And what I mean by that is, I don't experience them as humans. It's almost as if they were made of paper, like a cardboard cutout. It's best the best way I can use to explain it. And I started to see that in in the TV as well. So I was watching, um, Made in Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I was trying to follow this scene. It had Zara McDermott and someone else, and they were busy arguing with each other. This was another thing that constantly happened while I was manic, which is why I didn't enjoy watching TV. The first thing that happened was both of them kept looking right into camera. Almost as if, like you know, almost tongue in cheek to be like, oh, haha, "This is so funny. I, we can't believe people believe that we're actually fighting. Like this is ridiculous." And then when the fight scene continued, I, I literally couldn't hear what they were saying. It, it was the weirdest thing. Their mouths kept moving, but it, I just didn't, I didn't hear anything. I had no idea what they were saying. So that happened, and then. And then one of the health visitors came to see me. And this was a weird one because I thought that I was being very eloquent and very poised and very composed. But we had this really long conversation. And she walked away from it to go to the kitchen and say to Richard, oh, I don't think Tat was very well at the moment. Um, I think she's feeling sick. And I think that this feeds into the the paranoia that one has as a manic person because when you're feeling so on fire, when you're feeling so focused, when you're able to deliver information in such a clear and concise way and you're having someone say to you, oh, I think there's something wrong with you, That is destabilizing. That is soul crushing. Because you've never felt more yourself ever before. So health visitor comes through and she's like, "Mm -mm, this girl is not okay. And then I had a psychiatrist come to my house and chat with me at this point. I was also vegan. I wasn't eating any plant food I just felt that it wasn't the right thing for my body at the time and I was trying to uh, create more milk supply and um, so the, the psychiatrist recommended that I go to see a doctor I mean go to see go into the Royal Bethlehem hospital which was down the road 10 minutes down the road it was a facility specifically for New Mothers with Babies. It was called the Mother and Baby Unit at the Royal Bethlehem Hospital. The snag was, I was still coming up as COVID positive. And because I was still coming up as COVID positive, they couldn't admit me. In the meantime, they gave me some light medication to sedate me and kind of keep me calm. And... Yeah, in that waiting. So I think they came to see me on a a Thursday, and I only got taken to the Royal Bethlehem on the Saturday. That period in time, when you are becoming unwell, especially if you're a Tato Reynolds who does everything to the 110th percent, those 48 hours were crucial. If I had been admitted, earlier I definitely think the healing would have been quicker I would have been able to stay with Zach and he would have kept me sane but because of that weight because I was already slipping at that point it just took so much longer to to get well again so yeah I finally made it to the royal Bethlehem but by then I was long gone I I remember I thought that Zach was baby Jesus and I was either Mary or God. I don't know. One of the two. And I remember just being in the waiting room, slid onto the floor, eating biscuits on tap and drinking like coffee and having this woman come in. And I don't know why, but she reminded me of a friend of mine who's a twin. And the, it's and the friend of mine that's a twin is a actually a man, <laughs> and I remember saying to her, "Oh, you're a twin, but you're also a man." It was just so insane, and I don't remember much about my first stint at the the Royal Bethlehem. I I can't I can't even remember the people I interacted with. I can't remember anything of the things that I was doing. Um. Basically, the situation became so unmanageable. I became so unmanageable that they decided to move me to a psychiatric intensive care unit. And from the moment I entered the royal bathroom for the first time, I didn't see Zach because at that point I wasn't well enough to look after him. So they thought we're not going to give her that pressure of having to look after a baby when she's clearly, you know, not here at all. And so I went to Signet uh, Woking, uh, and I found that place, particularly in the beginning, quite traumatic, quite violent and threatening. And because I'm such a positive person and because I always want to see the good in people, in situations, in life, I think I blacked out a lot of the things that really scared me in that place. And I think I papered over a lot of things and I was like, oh, you know, I must have misinterpreted that. That can't have been what had actually happened. But I read a a story on MIND because I've kind of joined up to be one of the ambassadors for MIND. And they sent through a story by this woman. And it triggered all of these things in me and all of these almost repressed memories that I squashed down because I was like, oh well, that, that couldn't possibly have happened. But it it did and it does. And the sad reality is that for a lot of us who go through um mental health struggles, particularly those who can't afford, which is a lot of people, but it's particularly those who can't afford to go to the priory or to go you know anywhere very nice and fancy where they treat you with care and respect but to be fair signet is actually a private facility and i mean some of the things and i do, i'm not i don't know if i'm misremembering but i distinctly remember you know richard Being worried about me, being worried for me. But I was so far gone because I was so heavily medicated when I got there. That was the first thing. They just, I mean, it was literally like the strongest tranquilizers. I couldn't even move for days. I just sat on, like I sat, I lay on this couch, drooling, literal, like drool coming out of my mouth because I couldn't move my mouth. I couldn't move. I couldn't. Do anything, and there were um bank staff there who were just incredible, so kind, so loving, so giving. But then there was this other element where I remember once having anxiety around it being the evening, and I can't even remember what the specific circumstances were. I think I just wanted to moisturize my body or something, and then I got sent to like some weird smelly room with a foam mattress covered in um like you know that like rubbery pvc stuff that you see in like a kid's playground where there's like a ball pit but yeah like I had to sleep on this thing with my duvet that I'd brought and they locked me in and everyone was terrifying looking because we were all in the dark and Nobody was talking and nobody was explaining anything. I just, yeah, it was horrible. But eventually I recovered. And this is definitely in a very, very big part due to Richard and his advocating. He, you know, he told me obviously after the fact, but he said at the time, you know, he was adamant that they changed my medication. He was adamant that they try the things that had kept me well before. He was making sure that they weren't over-medicating me. Um, you know, he tried to come see me as often as he could. But, imagine, but remember, he had a brand new few days old baby to, to look after on his own. And he had a wife who was over an hour's drive away that he had to see as often as he could. He was literally my rock in signet Woking because if it wasn't for him, who knows how long I would have been there on all sorts of drugs, laying around like some invalid. I even had like adult nappies, guys. Like literally, like that is how un- What's the word I'm looking for? Un-in-control-of-my-life. I was. It was, yeah. Just horrendous and hard. And then I think I can't remember how many weeks I was at Signet, maybe like four or five weeks without Zach with the pictures on the wall, like I was saying, and it was just so confusing. And 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 also like strange things would trigger me. Like I remember once I went I walked into a room and there was a bible but it was upside down and for some reason I feel I I couldn't walk because the because the book was upside down it was the weirdest thing I I felt like I was upside down because the book was upside down but then I was like but this is the floor so why are my feet I mean why don't my feet on on the sky and my hands on the floor and yeah, just those kinds of things would really trip me up. I think you take for granted how many things just work in your life until they don't anymore. Um and yeah, I I, I try very hard not to take you know anything for granted anymore. Because it could be taken away and it's um so then, I after I was in Signet working, I went back to the Royal Bethlehem because I was now in a better space to look after Zach. And this space, I have to say, was very, very nurturing. Um, Royal Bethlehem is a really, really good place. mothers to go because it's set on this massive property massive and they have all sorts of like different facilities on there they have some like men's facilities they have people who've had brain injuries and need rehabilitation so there's all sorts but there's also loads and loads of like green spaces that you can go on and walk through and it's really really nice and the whole red yellow green baby levels depending on how you look at it, obviously you can look at it as, oh, they're really being really controlling. They don't want me to look after my baby. So the so the levels to explain, if you haven't listened to episode three, are um, red. Baby levels are when you come in to the, the mother and baby unit. Uh, the nursing staff monitor all the things that you do with your child, they make sure that you know how to bath the child, to feed the child, to burp the child, to change the nappy, all of that stuff. Uh, they don't really leave you alone with the child for while you're there, while you're on red baby levels. And then when you move to yellow, it's a bit more hands-on you do more things on your own, like you could take the baby for a walk if you wanted to, but also equally, you can still walk by yourself if you just want some time on your own, which is the nice thing. And then when you get to green baby levels, then you're doing everything as if you would do in the real world. And so there were good things and not so good things about the the red, yellow, green baby levels. But more importantly, there were, I think because the center has tried to become intentional about how it helps women that are struggling in this space. A lot of the things were were inner child things that you got to do. So someone would look after your baby for an hour or two and you could paint or you could make a thank you card or you could take a uh, singing or instrument lesson and it just really went a long way to heal all of the things that I didn't even know were broken within me. Uh, I mean there was still a whole bunch of work that had to be done after that fact and one of my favorite things about the MBU is that I met the most incredible young psycholo- psychologist. Yeah, I think she's a psychologist. Dr. Rebecca, I don't know what her surname is. Otherwise, I definitely would have shouted her. She was amazing. Um, and I was just so excited because I thought, oh, you're still really young. I think she was in her you know, mid to late 20s. I just thought you were you're still so young and there are so many people who are going to be in your orbit and so many people that are going to be touched by your work and your heart because I think that was the the most impactful thing about her she really cared about her patients she really wanted to understand and she didn't see me as broken She didn't see all of the things that I'd been through as wrong. And she actually said something to me once that I really have tried to unpack. And I'm not, you know, I don't want to get too bogged down with the details and go too far down the rabbit hole. But she said, you know, bipolar disorder is a reactive condition. And she said that maybe it would be useful for me to think about why I need bipolar disorder in my life. I had honestly never thought about that until that point. I'd never had a moment where I went, I wonder why my brain, why my emotions feel the need to do this thing in the way that they do. Yeah, so that really landed with me, really resonated. And and I just felt really touched by all the work that she was doing with me, for me. And then it was nearly Christmas and I got to go home. So... When I was in Signet working, and I was in the throes of the postpartum psychosis, I, I think Richard and I were good because we were on the same team. We were wanting the same outcome. We wanted me to come home. We wanted me to be well. We wanted recovery. We wanted to be as a family and just enjoy our lives. But I think there was a – oh, I don't think I know <laughs> – there was a breakdown when I started coming down from the psychosis and back into mania. I think that's what it was for me. It was like a a, a dip. Well, I started sane and then I went up to psychotic and then I came down to mania and then I slowly petered down into, into sanity again. And when I was in the manic state, I started with my stories again. There was a new man now one of my ex-colleagues and I was in love with him and I was running off with him and all sorts of other people that I just didn't even know and I think also Richard found the religious aspect of it all very hard to deal with because he's not spiritual at all and so I remember once I was in the kind of guest room with him and I was having a flap because, I don't know, I just felt really unsafe and I kept asking for Jesus to help me. And Richard was just like, well, I'm not Jesus, so I can't help you. And I think it's just frustrating to be with someone who keeps hurting you when they're unwell. Because I think it's already hard enough to be there for someone when they're unwell, regardless of how they are behaving towards you. But if someone is unwell and also unkind and also aggressive, that's a hard pill to swallow. Especially if that same person who's being unkind and aggressive to you is treating everybody else as if they are made of pixie dust. Um yeah, i just I just think it's it's really, really difficult to stay in love with that person in those moments. But, yeah, I came home, and you know, for better or worse, regardless of what had gone down, Christmas, Christmas is always a bonanza at the Reynolds. We just we love a Christmas, we celebrate, we eat things, we drink things, we buy things. And Richard's sister, Emma, was our literal buffer. She was there, I think, over, for a week over Christmas, hanging out with us. And if it wasn't for her, like, it just would have been so awkward. It was still very, very awkward, but she kind of kept things moving and was like, ah, like, we're fine, we can do this. Um... But yeah, it, that was a tricky Christmas twenty. Christmas twenty twenty was a tricky Christmas, and also COVID. Like, oh gosh, ugh, ugh. can we not? Can we not have another pandemic, guys? Please, yo, can we not? I do not want another one. So that brings us to twenty twenty one. The nice thing about this country is, if you want to, you can take up to a year off as um maternity leave. It's not all paid for, but you know, it's the option. And I was off for nearly a year with Zach. I was off for, like, close to 11 months. And so for most of 2021, I was looking after him, one man every day, going through this live. And, you yeah, guys, I don't know how full-time moms do it. I honestly... Do not know. Like, it was relentless. It was exhausting. But it was necessary because when we were alone together, we built our own rapport. We learned each other. I learned to trust myself around him. I stopped telling myself that he didn't love me. And I stopped telling myself that I was a bad mom. Ah, but things happened, bruh. Things happened. So there was this one time when I was bringing him in from outside, and I don't know what happened, but I missed my step and I dropped him. He was in my arms and I dropped him. He fell. He was fine, like absolutely fine. No issues whatsoever. He didn't have a bruise. He didn't have a cut. He didn't have a- nothing. But I felt so horrendous. I was like, I'm the worst mom in the world. Like, what the hell? I dropped my child. Then, there was another time, and bless, the GP who dealt with me on that day was so, so sweet because she said to me, oh, my gosh, you have no idea how often we get these calls. Like, you have no idea how many pe- mums come in with this, and it's all, it's completely fine. It makes doesn't have anything to do with who you are as a mom. But so what happened was he was on the bed crawling around, and I was literally like by the mirror, which is seven steps away from him. And then he kind of sat up at the edge of the bed and then he fell over onto the floor. It wasn't super high, but like he was really small. So I was still like, oh my gosh, my baby. Um, But I'm glad that those things happened because now if I come across a parent who's worrying about something like that, I can literally be like, don't even worry about it. Like, you haven't ruined your baby. Your baby's fine. Nothing's wrong. M- one of my friends' husband babe, basically, like, threw the child while he fell down the stairs, and she's fine. Um. So if you are a new mom and you're worried about these kinds of things and all of the things that could possibly go wrong with your baby, honestly, they're so much more resilient than we give them credit for. Your baby's not going to break. Everything will be fine. Um, don't even stress. And, yeah, so I did that. And then thank goodness when the maternity leave ended and I was like, <laughs> please, here, crash, take my baby. I'm done. Um. So, yeah, that was that. And it was a learning curve. But yeah, it's not something I will be doing full-time just because... Oh, actually, it's different now because he's a bit older. I'm not sure. And now for the good bit. Now I get to tell you like how I'm doing now. Like what's going on with Tato and fam today. So how are we? I've, I've moved on from the job that I was at before, like when I was going through the postpartum psychosis and everything... Uh, same industry, so I'm still a PA, but I work for a different kind of company now. It's kind of the government, but it's also privately owned. Very confusing, but not confusing. And yeah, work's cool. Um, And I'm, yeah, I'm just in a really good space in my mind and in my heart. And I definitely feel a lot more comfortable in my body and, and more comfortable with the things that have happened to me. And I guess I'm, I'm not very quick to label myself anymore or put myself in a box. And I know that I do label myself on this podcast, but I think that, you know, as I've explained before, they're only labels are only useful from a diagnostic and treatment perspective. And I think within the context of the things that have happened to me, it is useful to give labels to these things because then you give someone the language. But we're all individuals. And we've been through all these things. And just because I was wobbly, you know. Two, three years ago, it doesn't mean I'm gonna be bubbly now. Um, I think Zach is, you know, Zach is such a a grounding and stabilizing presence in my life. Like I almost feel like I can't afford to get sick, you know? Like in any way, because he's he's my baby. And I just I'm here for him and I'm not trying to make his life difficult in any way, shape, or form. And I just want him to flourish, and I feel like keeping myself sane is probably the best way to ensure that that happens. Richard and I have been through some things. We've been through the wars, but I am so happy to call him my husband. I feel very, very blessed because... You know, for better or worse, he literally has shown me time and time and time again that he is here for me, that he is my person. And I know that, like, even if we had a massive fight tomorrow, if someone came for me, he would still be like, Who, who, who you, what, are you trying to step on my? (laughs) So, yeah, I don't take that for granted. I really don't. Um he's a good egg. He's one of the best. And just kind of going back to the work situation, I you know, in in all of these things that I've gone through and all of the um development, you know, cuz pressure makes diamonds. So, in the becoming, i I don't feel like a diamond yet, but I feel like i'm I feel like I'm on my way. But in the becoming of a diamond, I have learned to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And I almost feel like that is probably one of my my biggest learnings in life because I like to be comfortable. <laughs> I like. For things to flow. And I had a situation at work recently where I got some feedback that wasn't what I was expecting and it wasn't positive. And I think my natural tendency would have been to defend, deny, you know, make it about the other person and be like, well, they're wrong because they're obviously don't know what they're talking about. But instead of taking that route, I thought, let me just listen let me just listen to what they're saying, see what resonates and, and take the things that I don't agree with out. And what that led to was me advocating for myself by saying, okay, I received this feedback and I want to learn and I want to become better, but I'm gonna need more from you. And I think what that did was it kind of showed grit on my part, and it showed, you know, my work that oh, okay, she's not gonna take these things lying down, right? And she wants to do better, and so let's give her the tools to do better and to be better. Um, so I'm just really, really proud of myself, guys. Generally in life. I'm very, very proud of myself. Um, and as a final, oh yeah, 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 as a final thing. I feel comfortable enough to dream now. That sounds like a very throwaway term, but it's it's a luxury. Dreaming is a luxury. Um, a lot of people have too much happening in their lives that they can't dream. <laughs> they don't have the time to sit and be like, Oh, you know.' I wish I had this or like I'd like my life to improve in these ways. I think I've said it before, but I used to equate joy, productivity, abundant thinking, a positive mindset. All of that stuff was wrapped up in mania for me for the longest time. And so All of it felt really, really dangerous. But now I'm pushing past the danger feeling because I know that the danger feeling isn't real. It was never real. And just because the parts of you that are amazing are amplified when you're manic doesn't mean that those parts don't exist. And it doesn't mean that those parts aren't valid and that they don't just show up in your life normally. If anything, maybe they're just over showing up because you don't allow them when you're not in those spaces of mania. That's a subject for another day. And yeah, how did I, how did I get there? How did I get to here, to this bright, shiny, wonderful human you see in front of you now? The first thing is I listened to my inner voice and how did I do that? I started to journal as my higher self. Practically, what does that look like? Okay, what it looks like is I would literally take my notepad and I would take a piece of paper. Nope. I'd take my notepad and I'd take a pen. <laughs> and maybe I'd just start journaling as me just to kind of get the juices flowing, get into the motion of writing. And then halfway through, I'd be like, you know, higher being or empowered one or um divine feminine what insights do you have for me today just write honestly guys it works please try it let me know just write write to your higher self and listen because she's got things to teach you he's got things to teach you they've got things to teach you So my higher self told me when I'd come home on that Christmas in 2020, my higher self said to me, 2021, you need to rest. And I was like, and it was like, you need to rest. And I was like, but I've got all these dreams. You need to rest. So what did I do in 2021? I rested. I rested. I was with my baby. I went for walks. I had coffees with people. I rested. Then 2022 was tumultuous. Yeah, 2022 was hard. But also a lot of amazing things happened in 2022. And it was the setup for 2023. So yeah, listen to your inner voice. Like, get into the habit of allowing your your inner voice, your higher self, your most empowered self, your most knowledgeable self. Get into a pattern where you listen to that that self often and you will see miracles will happen. What else d- happened to get me here? Uh, my advocates and my support system, Richard, always fighting in my corner, always trying to make sure that people were treating me the right way. Emma, just there, just there. She was there, present with all that she is all the time. She, Emma's just an epic human being and, yeah, she's got, like, the biggest heart and she's just also really smart and accomplished and is going to accomplish even more. It's mad. Um, My sister, Maxine, she held me down. In the MBU, she held me down. We spoke all the time because I was flipping all the time. I was like, these people don't understand me. Like, they're trying to lock me up. Like, it was mad. The only reason why I didn't kick off in the MBU when I got back was because of her. Because she'd always talk me down the ledge, talk me off the ledge. Um, My cousin Ayanda, who I don't actually get to see very often, but... When she came to see me, like, that really, really meant a lot to me. Like, it was just really affirming that people out there care for me. Another thing that got me to where I am now is staying open. Even when it's scary, even when, yeah, things don't feel good, just opening myself up to the possibilities you know, trying not to limit myself with my thoughts, trying not to limit myself with my stories and just being like, who knows? Who knows? You know what's a really good um, trick with that? I actually got this trick from a book called Ask and it is given by Esther and Jerry Hicks. I love that book. I evangelize about that book literally on a daily basis. But a great way to stay open is to ask yourself, wouldn't it be nice if? How amazing is that phrase? Let me give you an example. You are worried about some test results. You've gone for a scan and you, yeah, the the call is coming at 4 p.m. today and it's midday. Instead of continuing that script in your head, Why don't you pause and go, wouldn't it be nice if the scans were negative? And negative is what you want. Wouldn't it be nice if they said, we don't even know why you came for a scan. Wouldn't it be nice if they said, oh, actually, on top of that, we've realized your body is in such great shape. Internally, I don't mean externally, because they can't tell that in a scan. You know, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice? And the thing about wouldn't it be nice if is that once you start playing this game often enough, you almost find things in your past. You remember things where very small miracles kept happening, but you discounted them because you were like, oh, well, it couldn't be so, it couldn't be true. Oh, that was just a fluke. But even if it was, You just keep collecting these stories of positivity and you're like, oh my gosh, actually, I am living a miracle life. I am a miracle. My life is miraculous. Game changing. Absolutely game changing. And then the last thing, how did I get here, is constantly educating myself and then implementing what I've learned. So I think before I would consume life optimization literature and I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's great. Such great concepts. Mm." And then I wouldn't practice anything. And now I've read a book by Hal Alrod called The Miracle Morning and I've changed up my morning. I read 5 a.m. Club by Raman Sharma and I've incorporated some of those things into my Miracle Morning practice. I'm reading a book about tapping now, which is EFT, which blows my mind. I'm obsessed with tapping. And now I'm going to practice and become better at tapping because this is what you need to do. It's not enough to acquire the knowledge. You need to acquire the knowledge and then you need to practice. Yeah, and those are my things. And I almost forgot (laughs) that I usually sing on this show. I'm going to sing a song, but before I sing the song, I just want to say something small. And that is that this song that I'm about to sing is called I Can't Make You Love Me. I think it's by Bonnie Raitt. This song used to have really negative connotations for me because I entered a singing competition. And this was my audition song. And I didn't, I made it past that round. But I didn't make it past the, you know, the first interview, like the first TV interview. And I remember walking away from it just feeling horrible and feeling less than. And now I've reclaimed the song because yesterday I was in the club, like the actual club, and they had a karaoke night and everyone was singing Dance Bangers. And what did Tato sing? She brought the whole club back down to earth. She sang this song. And people were like, wow. And I won. It was a competition. And I won. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Don't ever doubt yourself. Like, you are the ish. You are all the things. So, yeah, gassing myself up, as always. But here goes nothing. Here is I Can't Make You Love Me by Bonnie Raitt. Turn down the lights. Turn down the bed. Turn down these voices inside my head. Lay down with me and tell me no lies. Just hold me close, don't patronize, don't patronize me, cause I can't make you love me if you don't. And you can make your heart feel Something that it won't Here in the dark In these final hours I will lay down my heart And I'll feel the power But you won't No, you won't Cause I can make you love me when you don't, when you don't. As always, this was very therapeutic. I hope that you enjoyed the chat and I hope that you have an amazing week. Episode seven of eight get in touch guys oh my gosh please get in touch get in touch on instagram at tato reynolds uh get in touch on tiktok at the real tato reynolds get in touch on email at life in at gmail.com yeah send me a voicemail if you're listening on spotify send me questions guys okay um yeah get in touch get in touch have an amazing week and it was amazing having this time with you okay bye and there you have it episode seven of eight in season one i am currently preparing all of the bits for season two and so i would love your input So far, so many of you have given me such great ideas for episodes, and I can't wait to implement them and get them ready for you for season two. But if you want to be one of those contributors, please get in touch, guys. I'm just so excited when I hear from you guys and and hear that you're actually listening and enjoying the content. And in that spirit, I have a massive ask for you. Please, 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 if you listened to this episode, could you go onto my Instagram and drop a heart in the audiogram for this episode that would be the audiogram for episode 7 it'll say something like PPP recovery and life update I'm guessing And yeah, just drop a heart so I know that you listened and that you have enjoyed the show because I think it's incredible that there's so many people actually listening every week. I am so grateful to have you as an audience. Um, So yeah, drop a heart on the audiogram and then yeah, I'll know that you're listening. Have an amazing week. Be well. Look after yourselves. Bye bye.